Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! We're starting a new worship series tonight, um, and it's going to go on for a while. It's like a 10-week series, mainly just because we're going to read for a couple months plus um, through the middle section of Matthew's Gospel. Um, this series is called Astounded. And there's a reason for that that I'd like to tell you about. This is what has happened up to now uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, our storyteller, has put a big chunk of Jesus' teaching, just teaching, teaching, teaching. If you had one of those Bibles with the red print wherever Jesus talks, it's like pages of red because he's talking a lot. And that section of Matthew's Gospel real early on is called the Sermon on the Mount. He's been teaching, preaching on the mountain for chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. It's a lot of his most famous teachings, and it goes all the way to the very end of chapter 7. And then at the very, very end of 7, we hear these verses. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one with authority and not as their scribes. So I'm curious about that. Like, what does it mean to teach as one with authority? And as if to answer that question, Jesus gets up, comes down the mountain, and starts demonstrating what it looks like on the ground, like literally now down on the ground. And the people who see what he does next are going to be astounded because they, not all that different from us, just find it kind of hard to believe that someone who talks the talk can also walk the walk with real integrity and pure intention. And Jesus is like, you think what I said was good, wait till you see what I do. So here's what that looks like in Matthew chapter 8. We're starting in verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, appealing to him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and in terrible distress. And Jesus said to him, well, I'll come and cure him. The centurion answered, oh, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this. And the slave does it. When Jesus heard him, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and will eat with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the heirs of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go. Let it be done for you according to your faith. And the servant was healed in that hour. When Jesus entered Peter's house, 
He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out those spirits with a word and cured all who were sick. All of this was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All I can see in these stories is people who don't count. At least by one way of doing the math, they are a null set, a nothing, of no value. Let's work backwards. There's a mother-in-law. Now, I feel it's important to say here that my mother-in-law lives with us and that she has been a strong and necessary addition to our household for many, many years now. I love Sylvia. I'm telling you the truth. So you know that I'm not just dissing mother-in-laws in in general, okay? But Peter's mother-in-law, living in his house, likely means in that deeply patriarchal system that she's a widow and she doesn't have a son to take care of her. So she's at the mercy of her son-in-law for her well-being. She might be a little bit desperate. And if she's too sick with a fever, let's call it the flu or whatever, too sick to get out of bed, too sick to do her part to contribute to the household flourishing, that is worrisome. Because I imagine that she has made herself useful every single day since she moved in, so they'll remain happy that she's there. Likewise, the enslaved person who is likewise unable to get out of bed. Not just a flu, but paralysis, his owner reports. Maybe a spinal cord injury or a disease like ALS that has stolen his mobility. His own usefulness is also in question. He is meant for service. He's meant for work. And now he cannot. Now, I'm not saying in either specific case that the heads of household didn't also care for the debilitated person. There's no indication that Peter didn't love and respect his mother-in-law. And the enslaved person comes to Jesus' attention because the owner humbles himself to ask for help. Not only, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, because of the economic hardship of a slave who can't work, but because he cares about the suffering, that's what he says, that the young man is enduring. But speaking of the centurion, the one who owns the enslaved person, depending on who's doing the math, he actually doesn't count either. Now here it's not the math of ancient Near Eastern economics that matters, but the math of Torah and Israel's covenant relationship with the God of their ancestors, Abraham and the boys. Because this centurion is A, a Gentile, meaning not ethnically or religiously Jewish, and B, an officer in the Roman imperial army stationed in Capernaum to keep the local riffraff in line with the emperor's occupation. He's no ordinary Gentile. His otherness is intensified by his station in life. Come to think of it, he might not be just a zero in this system. He's more like a negative one. He's a subtraction from the overall well-being of the true people of God. (laughs) So here is Jesus, 
fresh down from that mountain of his triumphant inaugural address, everybody's talking about him, having established that he is someone to be listened to, that he is bringing God's own truth into this world God still loves. And the first thing he does is he homes in on all the zeros he can find and repairs their broken lives. He says, you matter to me. And I'm here to show, not just to say, but to show that you matter to God. Now, the thing about being astounded by something is that astounding can feel like two things at the same time. Astounded means that the impression something makes is surprising, even shocking. And the shock provokes a strong reaction or two. The reaction can be fear. The reaction can be delight. Have you ever tasted caviar? Like tasting caviar for the first time. It's cold and salty. It erupts with the most intense flavor when your teeth burst the tiny briny spheres. Astounding. Delicious and gross. So that you're not sure if you want gobs more or if you just want to wash it out of your mouth. For now, in Matthew 8, it's been all celebration of every single thing Jesus can do. They bring their hardest cases to him, the ones that they have labeled as possessed by demons because nothing they've tried has worked, so it must be something supernatural. Jesus is here for it. He speaks a word. The demons disappear. And Matthew says that everybody around him for the moment could see that he was the fulfillment of prophecy and the answer to all their prayers. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases, Isaiah said, of God's agent in the broken world. Meaning, he sees us at our very worst and he is not afraid and he knows what to do to help us. Now, we who read with the gift of hindsight, who already know the near end of the gospel story, we know that astounded can turn from delight to disgust very quickly. That Jesus spends his energy on centurions and Gentiles and all kinds of no-count humans whose wrecked lives seem to be testimony to their value of zero is eventually going to piss some people off and hard. You know the kind of people I mean? These are the kind of people who would get up on the first brutally hot Saturday of the summer and think, you know what I'd really like to do today? I'd really like to get my pants on, grab my magic markers and a poster board and my Bible, and head on over to a family-friendly pride festival in my city or a few cities away from my own, and stand in the glare of the blazing sun to yell abuse at people who are coming to a party. And I'd like to tell them that it is God who compels me to do it because in God's economy, they don't count. They are a null set, a nothing, no value. And I think what will make my weekend complete is telling them that as loudly as I can. Now, I know that those people are not in Matthew 8, not yet, anyway. 
They're coming soon enough. And Matthew is here foreshadowing it by introducing us so early on to the centurion, to the enslaved person who can't get out of bed, to the mother-in-law who is a net loss to the household if she can't make lunch. And by telling us that when Jesus chooses where to go, what to do with his astounding authority, these are exactly the people he seeks and finds and heals and congratulates for their faith and thanks for the lovely luncheon she has put together in his honor. Today, on this second Sunday in the month of pride, we have a couple things we need to do, church. In a minute, we're going to dedicate Junia Shores. It's a thing that we do around here for babies, in part because we don't baptize them, and we need a way to notice. We just need a way to notice collectively and theologically that a brand-new human has been added to the human family. And then after worship, we're going to eat some burgers and drink some beer and say, farewell, go with God, come home safe to the whole Shores family. And it was my task this week to think about what Matthew 8 has to do with any of that. And I think it's something like this. The church, this church right here and the church more generally, has a responsibility to raise Junia in an economy where everybody counts the way Jesus did his counting. We have to be vigilant to keep creating space where people who got yelled at yesterday are soothed and strengthened today. Moreover, we got to show up wherever Jesus goes on the other side of every boundary that the yellers, the VRPs, the very religious persons, the ones trying to wash the taste of caviar out of their mouths have built up. We have to stand on the other side of those ridiculous walls and convey what Jesus is doing over here, in here, hanging out at Pride, meeting up with Gentiles and centurions, enslaved folks, mothers-in-law, queers and queens and baby gays, the tweens who are experimenting with new pronouns and bright hair, and the help center clients and the help center volunteers, and the retirees who are just now finding it safe to express who they have always been deep down inside. Not because Junia needs us in that way, not for now, but because Junia and all our kids need us to make room for them to grow and become and blossom into whatever kind of human being they're going to be, whatever kind of humanity God has already imagined for them. They need to grow up in an economy where they count As for Junia's parents, well, I am having a very hard time talking about this, (laughs) talking about this going away. It's not only because I have known and loved Nathan since, I'm just going to say it, since they were kids. It feels like forever. Not only because of that, but because, listen, because they have always been a little ways ahead of me, a little further off the beaten path, out in the wild territory beyond the safety of the traditional highway I've been traveling. 
When I picture Remy and Nathan in my imagination, they are very often looking back over their shoulders at me, and they are beckoning to me to come on, hurry up. Lately also, they've got Junia strapped to one or the other of their bodies. They're carrying her into the cool shade of the crowds of nobodies out there beyond the boundaries, the crowd at the center of which is always, forever, Jesus. He's all glittered up and ready to befriend every no-count he can find, doing what he does as one with authority. The Shores family has shown me that more times than I can count, and I am astounded. Nathan and Remy and Junia, can y'all meet me up here at the front so we can christen, not baptize, but bless this baby for her journey with you. So, oh, so this is always a little awkward. It's sort of meant to, I mean, a lot of things that Christians do to commemorate certain turnings in life are awkward. Like, if you want to say yes to the reign of God and, like, get on board with wanting what God wants, we just ask you to wear a bathing suit in front of all your friends and get in water and get completely drenched. It's awkward. It's really weird. But we'll do some awkwardness. Do you think Junie will let me hold her? Can y'all see this at home? This baby is beautiful. So look, here's the awkward part. I have a little oil. It's not fancy oil. It's not sacred oil. But it's special because it's here among friends. I'm going to get a little bit of that. And I'm going to anoint Junia right on her little head. Our ancestors in faith have been anointing people who have a special and beautiful purpose in this world for a long time. Baby, you have a special and beautiful purpose. And then, I know, I know, it's really awkward. I'm going to do it again. This time on her little foot. Because our ancestors in faith anointed one another's feet when they had traveled a long journey. Junia has traveled a long way to be with us, and she's got miles to go. We want the blessing of God and this church to go with her and with her family And so we're going to read some promises. I'm going to read some promises to Nathan and Remy, and then you all will do it too. So if you're here in the barn, there are half sheets of paper among you that you need to find. And if you are online with us, the text of your promise will be in the chat when the time comes. Let's see if we can get my iPad to do the thing. Okay. All right. Junie is going to help me scroll. Okay. Remy and Nathan. The covenant that you're entering into today rests on the foundations of promises you've already made. You've already pledged yourselves to God in baptism as loyal disciples of Jesus. Nathan, we even got to see yours. And you've already pledged yourselves to each other in faithful Christian marriage right here in this room. A lot of us got to see that too. Do you pledge to be faithful to promises you've already made to God and to each other? Junia is a new gift from God intended to bring joy and love into your family. And because God has placed her in your hands, you have great responsibilities toward her. Do you pledge to love Junia more each day, sharing with her all of God's blessings, showing her the ways of the subversive and beautiful reign of God, and teaching her gently about the mercy of Christ as she grows? And... 
this is the one I love, do you promise to share her with the people of God, letting her be for us a sign of God's unending love and a reminder of the countless ways God cares for us through every stage of our lives? Okay, fam, this one is for you. So if you're online, take a look in the chat. Dear siblings in Christ, the Shores family has invited us to join in dedicating Junia to the reign of God among us. We will be privileged to witness God's mysterious and powerful work in her and in her family. Do you pledge to pray for Nathan, for Remy, and for Junia, offering yourselves to accomplish God's work in them? We promise with God as our helper. We're going to pray for this family now, and because we want to keep it so that the Inside Out folks can see, I want to invite you, if you're close with this family, to can people come and be with you? Um, but not everybody has to come up. If you feel like you could just, from where you are, stretch out your hand so that our prayers flow toward the Shores family, that'll be great. We, I think we can just scoot right there by the table, and we'll still be on camera, I'm hoping, yeah? I don't mean to dissuade anyone from coming. I just, okay. Stretch out your hand, if you will, and we'll pray. Oh, God, our kindred, this is a prayer I could not write. I could not script. I'm trusting your spirit to help me have the right words to say. You have invited us to be family for and with each other, and there's really no fuller manifestation of that kind of commitment than our relationship with the Shores family. We really have, in some sense, over the last 10 years, seen Nathan and Remy through so many stages of their own human development. We have seen them become, each of them, the full, beautiful human that you intended for each of them to be. And we're grateful to have seen it. We've learned new names and pronouns and ways of talking with and about them, and it's been glorious. And they've been gracious, and we're glad. That their love flourished in this space feels especially wonderful to me and to us. And we thank you so much that that love has come to fruition now in Junia, in her life among us, not just here at Galileo, but in this human family, which is surely better off because she's part of it. Thank you. We ask that you would bless this family as they go on from here, but help us to remember that the promises we've made tonight are not bound by geography. Our promise is to pray, to extend love to this family, to continue to believe that you're at work in them and through them and on their behalf. These are things that we'll be working on together for a long, long, long time to come. And when the time is right, if the time is right, and the Shores family end up right back here in our lives, or I don't know, some of us end up in Des Moines. What do we know? We trust that you'll help us remember how to love each other day to day because we've been practicing that for a really long time together. Thank you, God. Thank you for the ways that you have, that you have helped our church flourish through the incredible gifts of Remy and Nathan and now Junia, whose very presence here is an immeasurable gift we couldn't have asked for. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, our brother, and the power of his spirit among us. Amen.
Okay, church, there's two things I want to tell you. The first one is I just want to point out an interesting overlap in the metaphors we use about Christ's body. Because when we gather in memory of Jesus, Jesus said that it is his body and blood that he offered himself to us so thoroughly that he offers us his very flesh. This is Christ's body, which is for you. But also, in another metaphor, we are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And so as long as I keep coming to this table, I'll never be far away from you, church. No matter how far I go, I'm never far from the body of Christ. And the second thing I have to say is, fuck that, this fucking sucks. <laughs> I'm going far away. And our inside-out friends know better than anyone that geography matters. And even for our inside-out friends to whom I've never been proximate, I'm still going far away. In serious ways. My job and my hours and my time and my church will be different. And as excited as I am, I am also heartbroken. At the top of this service, we asked one another, where did you see God in the week just past? And for the past seven years, my answer to that has almost always been in all of you, the body of Christ. But I'm not the first person to leave the place where they've always seen God and worry that God won't follow. But the testimony of our ancestors in faith is that God always does. And so both things can be true. I feel certain that as long as I'm with God, I will be with you in some way, even though it's not the way we're used to and the way we've grown to like so much. And Junia and Nathan, all of us, will be with all of you too at this table. So I've been pulling my hair out all week trying to think how to say this, how to say goodbye. I'm so excited and so sad. And I don't know about all of you, but when I don't know how to say what I'm trying to say, I tend to go long. But I'm not going to do that. Because in G Kids today, one of the kids said a prayer that I thought summed up absolutely what I want to say. And so I asked her if she would share it with you all, and she said yes. So Phoebe is going to come pray for us. God, thank you for this world. And even though, thank you for the good things and the bad things. Even though we don't really like the bad things, we thank you for everything else you give us. Amen. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. 
and we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.